Hello, and welcome to Grow With Soul. I'm Kate Ferris, a coach, writer, hiker, and recovering high achiever, and this is a work in life podcast. Join me for discussions and musings about how our work can be a small and magical part of a bigger, more meaningful life. So come on in, get comfy, and let's begin. Hello, and welcome back to Grow With Soul. This is the third and final part of the Evolution of My Work series. So if this is the first one you're tuning into, you may want to go and listen back to the last two episodes first. And now we emerge blinking into the new era. We have, over the last two episodes, talked about how Simple and Seasons started and grew into a business and then the messy middle of deconstruction where it became less and less like a business and that leads me to now where I have a lot of pieces of things and I'm about to put them into a new shape. A theme of this period already is and is going to continue to be control. I have discovered I have some issues where control meets value meets action. I spent a long time in a relationship where in order to feel safe I had to try and control every scenario to ensure that the emotional temperature remained constant to make sure that no one had a reason to be upset or get angry. I also had to control the way this all looked to the outside world so everyone would think everything was fine. Things are only safe, things are only happy, things only work if I am controlling them. And that includes my work. As much as I have spent all these years longing for an appointment-free business, I also believed that the only way I could be valuable to someone was via one-to-one. I had the story that that was what people really wanted and needed, so that was what I had to do, but I had no evidence of that. The truth was, I believed that one-to-one was where I was most valuable because it was where I could have the most control. When you write a course or a book, you have to let people take what you've written and trust them to make what they need with it. You cannot, like you can with one-to-one, micromanage every part of their experience and keep a very close eye to make sure they're getting capital V value. It is a huge process of unlearning this piece about control. When I was making mapping, I kept thinking, oh, you know, maybe this should be a group program and have lots of calls instead. And whenever I'm planning anything, it's like my brain is shaking me and it's shouting, just offer a Zoom call, you have to offer a Zoom call. For somebody who's been writing and talking about getting rid of those should do's and have to's for years, I've been living with this great big one right next to me for all those years as well. I have to do one-to-one. It's what people need. That was my 
big have to. But who says? It's not what I, with my customer hat on, need. I rarely feel like I actually need a one-to-one with someone. But I often feel I want to read a book about something or work through a process by myself just to kind of kickstart the thoughts. Some more have-tos. I have to do proper launch content, whatever that might be. I have to be strategic. I have to be organised. I have to be in control. The only thing with these have-tos is that they've never actually worked. All they've ever done is sucked the vibrancy out of whatever I'm making. Or usually, they mean that I don't get around to doing the launch or the strategy or the content because I find it so joyless with all these have-tos in place. Now I'm beginning to lean into what if I am a slightly chaotic person and that's how I produce things? What if I don't do the things I have to? What if I make the content that feels edgy and exciting to me that I want to make sure everybody reads? Would that not actually be better launch content than the thing I thought I had to write? What if what is required is not what I thought I had to do, but something completely different? I used to be very euphemistic about what I did for a living. Unless you were basically someone who listened to this podcast, I would be very vague when people asked, so what do you do? hairdressers and doctors and acquaintances of friends would get something like oh I work in marketing or I do social media or even I think I'm a teacher (laughs) once or twice which were all kind of but not exactly true. I couldn't be bothered (laughs) to try to explain but also I didn't want to justify what I did. In February this year, I went to the dentist and I said that I taught business online. And maybe being upside down in a chair and having someone sort of looming over my mouth didn't help, but it felt kind of viscerally uncomfortable to say that. And I immediately wished I hadn't. I then he kept asking questions about it, probably to put me at ease, but it had the opposite effect because I sort of bristled and clenched up and just absolutely hated talking about it. And I think it's because that's so not my work anymore that the misalignment caused a sort of physical revulsion. Lately, I have found that I'm not being euphemistic anymore. I went to a new hairdresser, I went on a first date, I went to a cafe with a chatty owner and I told them all the same thing. I am a writer. This, of course, opens up a whole load of more (laughs) uncomfortable questions. Like, what do you write? Are you famous? Isn't it hard to make money doing that? But 
although the questions are uncomfortable, it's also kind of enlivening to say it. As much as I previously thought that being euphemistic was protecting my work from justification, it also just kept it pushed underneath the surface. Saying I'm a writer feels more freeing because I have to spend less effort hiding it. And the questions become slightly less uncomfortable with practice. I just say, I write things on the internet and people buy them. And that is quite literally what I do. So that's the new name. So sorry, that was a slightly clickbaity episode title in case you thought there was a whole big rebranding coming. But I'm not a coach, I'm not a teacher, I'm not a marketer, I'm a writer. Sometimes I write things that are practical and provide guidance. Sometimes I write things that are explorative and provide revelation. Sometimes I write things that are just purely creative. But it all stems from this, I am a writer. And maybe this doesn't sound important, but it's changed everything. You see, when I say I am a writer, it makes the pivot I've been trying to make for years finish its rotation and slot into place. When I can define myself as this thing, the other things that I thought I had to be fade away. The reason I was always pulling myself back from the brink of giving up one-to-one. The reason I was always taking on just a few more clients was because I had the scope to. That was the real reason. Of course, I was doing it because I was fearful, because I was controlling, because I felt I needed the money, because it felt like too much of a risk not to. But the reason all those things managed to override me was because I always could do it. There was nothing other than my say-so that meant I couldn't do it. Now, because I am a writer, it's easier to say I don't do one-to-one anymore because that's not writing. I took the one-to-one offerings off my website and I just don't do it anymore. Defining my work as writing also means that the swirling not-sureness began to turn into real things. That raggedy string I was holding onto began to reel itself in. I had a few ideas for names of things, a few concepts of things, and they began to put themselves together into matching pairs in my brain. Over the course of one weekend, virtually, I went from not knowing what the shape of my work was going to be for the coming year to having a clear as day business model. And that was because when I leaned into being a writer who writes things that people buy on the internet, rather than a person who controls the outcomes for people, the ideas were free to flow in and 
be just what they needed to be. They were allowed to exist in their magic without the capital V value and the capital R results. So this is what this business model now looks like in my head. Right at the entry level is my new free offering the first step. So before you do anything else, before you pack a bag or you map a route or you book a place to go, you have to decide you have a journey to make. This offering is an easy first step pun sort of intended, towards a life worth living. So it's a mini podcast, 10 minutes that you can put on while you make a cup of tea, all about the signs of wanting a change and the first steps to take to do so. And then there's also a follow-up optional mini workbook to go a little bit deeper if you'd like. Then at the first paid tier are the kits. So there's planning and purpose kits at the moment and I also have another idea to build them up into a trio but to be honest that might need to wait till next year and I need to stop telling myself to do all the things at the same time and then joining the kits here are the courses so there's already do your thing which is a sort of accountability model and a process to get you to start, continue and finish that project or that product that you've been meaning to do. And then later in the year, I'm going to put together a course called Make More Time, which is going to do kind of what it says on the tin. So these, the kits and the courses, are the first tier of the business model. They're my more practical writings and projects and the ones that are at a more introductory level and introductory price point. For those who want something that is expansive yet guided and a container to make change but one that's got no pressure, there's mapping. So mapping is what you would call my signature self-help course and I certainly feel like it's my best work to date. I like to imagine the mappers as I call them printing off an essay to read one rainy afternoon or downloading the audio to listen to as they bake or pot or potter. I like to imagine them pinning their map worksheets to the wall and getting an injection of confidence with each suggested excursion they make. And although I'm not there to control every aspect, I trust them to take what they need and map their beautiful life. And finally, there is the cabin. This is a new thing. The cabin is for those who know what they want but just aren't doing it. It's for those who want to disappear to a cabin in the woods, to a space where they can just be, somewhere they can practice and plan for the life they want and then just emerge made brand new. But obviously real life means that those weeks and months (laughs) away in a cabin in the woods isn't really possible. So the cabin is a digital location 
that it's all your own. A supported self-help program to take the life you want from theory to reality via monthly essays and audio, activities and Q&As, as well as some support via text message. It is a place for you to escape to for a few hours a month and focus on yourself. It's quiet and it's yours. The cabin is a cocoon to support and nurture you while you learn to make the cabin of your life. The cocoon lasts nine months. Inside the cabin, you will find rooms of resources and by this I mean a membership site and every month there will be a new delivery all around our spine of monthly themes. So this will be an essay, an audio, a workbook, a ritual and activities. For support there is a monthly Q&A and you get three one hour text sessions with me. So some of our monthly themes include desire, possibility, devotion, loosening, sourcing, and flow. And you can find the full list and also more information at simpleandseason.com forward slash the cabin. By the end of the nine months, my greatest desire is for you to look around and think, oh look, I'm doing it. So the cabin will be available to pre-order very soon and there will be limited spaces. So go and have a look if that sounds like something you'd be really into. And of course, as a writer, I write books. Or at the moment, the first book. (laughs) It was around this time last year, I had an idea for a title of something. I thought at first it would be a lead magnet and then I thought no it's more than that it might be a course and then the more and more I thought about it I realised this is my book. I hadn't done any work on it before because I wasn't calling myself a writer then but I thought about it a lot and Over those months, it formed itself into a shape until I couldn't not start putting the words down. It was kind of pushing itself against the surface of me and just dribbling out. I had the very macabre but also galvanising thought that if I died in six months' time, if I got knocked down by a bus in a few weeks, then the worst thing about it would be to have not written that book. The fear of regret pushed me to start, but I still danced around it because it wasn't proper work. That is, until I decided I was a writer. Because what else does a writer do but write? After I allowed myself to start, it came in a flood. There was one memorable night where jotting down a few ideas became 
3,000 words, and then the following day there came 7,000 more. As I'm speaking, I'm about halfway through this memoir in essays. And as you're listening, I should have already submitted the proposal. Over these last three episodes, I think I covered most of the questions that were submitted, but there were two that I haven't, and I'm going to just answer them now, tacked on at the end, because I did think that they were interesting. So the first one was asking how I navigate the intersection of interests, ability, skill, and income. I feel like it might be pretty obvious from what I've described that that is not something to which I've really paid any attention. Yeah, I can see that Venn diagram that we're all supposed to do now. And I'm pretty sure that I've tried to fill one in in the past, but you know what? If I tried to go by that Venn diagram, then I wouldn't do anything because I would think they didn't intersect enough because they don't really the rings barely touch of my interest, my ability, my skill, and my income. What the Venn diagram doesn't take into account is magic. The magic of the space outside the rings. The magic of what happens when we don't do the safe thing you're supposed to do, but create the thing we're excited to do. And I know from all the things I've tried that magic is the only thing that works. The second question was, have you lost followers slash conversion in the changes and how have you handled that if so? So in the summer of 2020, I wrote my first book proposal that didn't go anywhere. That's fine. It's another story. But I've been copying and pasting some of the sections from it that still apply into my new book proposal. And one of those sections was about platform and stats and all that kind of thing. And I was really shocked to see that just under two years ago, I had 27,000 followers on Instagram and now I have 21 or 20,000. So yes, I have lost followers and I have handled it by not really noticing. Maybe that sounds flippant. I did notice that numbers were going down and, but honestly, I'd forgotten they'd ever been that high. And I suppose that the reason I hadn't noticed is that my email list hasn't gone down podcast listenership hasn't gone down, the views on my stories hasn't really gone down, and while my income has fluctuated, I'd say that that is more due to the chaos (laughs) I described in the last episode than it is to losing 6,000 Instagram followers. And this is, in fact, another thing with being a writer now. My work doesn't live on Instagram. It doesn't live or die by it. Instagram is a nice to have now. 
it's not making any difference, you know, good or bad. So I'm going to carry on not really noticing those numbers. And so that brings us up to today. I hope you've really enjoyed this series and getting to know a little bit more of what's happened behind the scenes, maybe filling in any gaps. And I hope you feel excited to see what happens next. Uh, I actually am recording this episode only a few days before you're listening to it. Because while it was my intention to record it before I went away, I massively changed my mind about what I'd written in it (laughs) in terms of the new business model. And so I went away and had to retweak it a little bit more. And I'd say even as soon as yesterday, I was still wobbling a little bit about it. And that's not because of the things themselves, it's because of what comes with that. You know, the doubt, the worry, the have-tos, they keep raising their heads. So I just wanted to add that in for disclosure that it's not all neat and pretty and decided. It's an ongoing battle with oneself and one's expectations. And that will continue. Things might change that I've described here. I've got ideas for other things that I'm telling myself not to start already because there's enough going on. But yes, I hope that you will continue to enjoy listening in and following along and seeing what happens as I embrace being a slightly chaotic writer. So from next week, we should be back to a more regular rhythm on the podcast. And I think that's it. Any links and anything we mentioned will be on the show notes on simpleandseason.com forward slash podcast. And you can come and find me on Instagram at simpleandseason. If you have a friend who you think would really enjoy this episode or the whole series, then please do send them the link and share where you're listening online too. And until next time, I hope you grow a soul.